The Lord Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's a mighty important thing to consider the loss of one's soul. It's tragic sometimes when circumstances of life happen that are unseen and unknown and and sometimes uncontrollable. But what about the loss of one's soul? There was a request tonight in the prayer room. A man down in the state penitentiary requested the meeting during the meeting that was held down there this afternoon, requested prayer for his daughter, two year old daughter, had been flown to the Mayo Clinic with little hope of recovery. And the fathers in the state penitentiary at Salem. Those are tragic circumstances. Pray for that child and that father. But the most tragic at all of all would be to lose one's soul. In the ninth chapter of Acts, portion of the eleventh verse, for behold, he prayeth. This was a turning point in a man's life. Behold, he prayeth. It was the Lord that was speaking these words to a prophet, to a man of God in Damascus. And he was speaking about a man that had gone by the name of Saul, but the Lord changed his name to Paul. Very unusual circumstances. But the Lord called him, and Saul started to pray. And we trust tonight that the Lord will be calling hearts here tonight, and that they'll pray. That's what Saul did, and I don't think he ever regretted it in all his life. He prayed. Sometimes it's pretty hard for the Lord to get us to the place where we will pray. Sometimes it, it's sort of a, against our own desires or our own thoughts, uh, but the Lord is looking for a submission to Him and obedience to Him, and, uh, and, the, and the evidences of that submission will be a man will humble himself and pray. Saul, had, Saul was religious. Saul was very zealous, and he was working at his religion, but we don't know how much he was praying. But all of a sudden, here, he was praying, and the Lord said he was praying. And the Lord told Ananias to go over and pray for him because he, ne he needed to receive his sight. He'd been blinded, at least temporarily. took a miracle to give him his sight back. We don't know exactly what went wrong with his eyes. He'd seen a great light. That's enough to blind somebody if it's bright enough because it's beyond our ability to dilate our eyes beyond a certain point in which we can stand a great and bright light. Welders wear a mask over their face and a little panel of light there that's very dark or a glass that's very dark so they'll be able to see what they're doing when they're welding because the light is too bright 
to do it without some means of darkening the, uh, uh, the intervening distance there. Paul didn't have that. And he saw this light. He fell to the ground. And he heard a voice besides the light. The voice was the voice of the Lord Jesus. Some people say and testify sometimes the Lord spoke to them. Well, he has different means of doing that, and he does do that. And thank the Lord he does. If he's spoken to you, well, thank God for that. If he's continuing to speak to you, if you feel that that something talking to your heart, it may not be in an audible voice, it may not be in a in a manner by which you hear it through your ears, but it may be some way inside you hear that voice. The ones that were with Paul heard a voice, but they didn't understand what the words were. They didn't it didn't make make it didn't come out in sentences or or something, but Paul understood it. And it was Paul, it was Saul that the Lord was dealing with. And he could understand the language the Lord dealt with him in. Spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. Well, these others that were with him were Jews and probably knew the Hebrew tongue all right, but it was Saul that the Lord was talking to. And he made just a few words. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That wasn't uh, much of a sermon. wasn't very long. But it was long enough. At the right time, in the right circumstances. And Saul surrendered. We don't know how much he knew about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ before that. He was born only about six years after Jesus was born. He was going to school in Jerusalem. Must have been about the time Jesus was doing some of his preaching there. But we don't know whether he ever, ever their paths ever crossed. We don't know whether he knew much about Jesus or not. Well, he knew something about him because he was persecuting the Christians, the followers of Jesus. And he had even been there at the, at the stoning of Stephen and consented to his death. And perhaps saw Stephen as his face lit up and he looked up through and saw the Lord at the right hand of God. It said that they beheld his face as if it were a face of an angel. We don't know whether Saul beheld that or not. He was holding the cloaks of those that were stoning him to death. Maybe he wasn't close enough to see that. Maybe maybe he was back there with a milling crowd and, and uh, egging them on and holding the coats, but not actually throwing any stones, apparently. But anyway, Paul said later on, he, he persecuted the Christians... But he said it was ignorantly in unbelief. He didn't seem to realize what he was doing. The light hadn't dawned on him yet. And it hadn't come clear through to him that he needed to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But this time it came through. This time it reached him. This time it was the right frequency. He was tuned in in the right place. And he heard the voice. He saw the light. He fell to the earth, but he was mystified. And when that voice said to that to him, he said, Who art thou, Lord? 
And the voice said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. There was no question about it now. It took a miracle. It took something drastic. But the Lord was faithful. And the Lord is still faithful. And calls not exactly the way Saul was called. Not exactly the same circumstances. He never does that. He deals with it individually. He knows our need. The Lord had to tell Ananias, He's a chosen vessel unto me, and I'll show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake, and that he should be a light to the Gentiles, as much as to say he's going to be a minister and an evangelist and a missionary. And I've chosen him for that, and he, he had to answer the call, of course, but the Lord selected him. The Lord chose him. The Lord enabled him. The Lord gave him the power to do it. But Ananias had to go down there and, and meet with him. And he had heard about him. And he would heard what an awful man this young man was. How terribly zealous he was for the high priest and for the persecuting of the Christians. And, to, and he was on his way to Damascus with the letters of authority from the high priest to arrest those who were followers of Christ, bring them back to Jerusalem that they might be hailed before the high priest. He had the authority to do that. He came with that purpose and intent, but he meant the law. It was not just an accidental meeting. The time had come. The time had come for him to count the cost if his soul should be lost. Just try to picture this now. If Saul had a continued to rebel against the law. The light came. The opportunity was his. But he had a free choice. And even though God took strenuous methods to reach him, Yet he had the power of choice. He could have turned it down. He could have passed it by. The day of his visitation, the time for him to count the cost, if his soul should be lost, he could have passed it right by. And I don't suppose we'd have had any, many of the chapters in the Bible that we have today. No, we wouldn't have. Well, the Lord may have called someone else, but anyway, he answered. We don't have to speculate how that would have been. He answered the call. He took the opportunity... Oh, I, we all feel strongly that God still calls. He still speaks. He still brings people to the point of decision. And then it's up to them individually. Paul prayed. For behold, he prayed. The verse says. For behold, he prayed. Now you can leave this auditorium tonight without praying if you're not saved if that's what you choose to do, and no one can stop you. And there certainly would be no one there trying to force you to pray. We want to invite you to pray. We want to urge you to pray. We want to implore you to pray. But the choice has to be yours. Paul prayed. And he continued in prayer for three days and nights, and it said he didn't eat or drink, but he just kept on praying. Then the Lord told Ananias, go over and touch him, heal him, pray for him. 
give him that he might have his sight. And Ananias obeyed. And he received his sight. He baptized him. And Saul continued there. Then went on his way. Later escaped from Damascus. Went out into the desert as far as we know for a little space of time. Then came preaching and people couldn't believe. Couldn't believe it. This man was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Became a champion of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a change. Because he prayed. Because he prayed. There's a lot in the Bible about prayer. We won't have time to cover it. We're just covering one person's prayer. There's a, way back in the Old Testament, there was a man that believed in prayer. And he, he prayed, as Brother Stevens prayed, we should pray morning, noon, and night. And he prayed three times a day. And that was his pattern. That's what he did. He was in a foreign country. He was in a, had been taken a captive, but had been given a place of high authority. The man was Daniel. After going through a number of tests and proving times, why, he was, he was prospered and, and promoted and, and, uh, the king, uh, over there at Babylon had 120 princes over all his provinces. And then he put three presidents over them. One of those was Daniel. And he made ja- Daniel the first one of those three. And then he thought in his heart to make Daniel totally over all of them. But you know, there was jealousy and envy. There in that court, Brother Goodat spoke about working in a, in a place where there, where there wasn't that. My, that's wonderful, isn't it? That's almost like working down the church office, uh, where we have one common cause and one common purpose and one common goal, and that is to get the gospel out, and it unites our hearts as we do that. But Daniel didn't have that. He had a lot of jealousy. And they looked at him, and they examined him, and they could find no fault in him. But they finally said, if we're going to find anything wrong with him, he'll have to be in in the realm of his God and his faithfulness in serving his God. So they connived together and and went to the king and said, "Uh, you're a great king, and, you know, floured him up and buttered him up good and said, uh, we'd like to have you make a decree for 30 days that no one ask anything of anybody but of you. Well, he didn't suspicion what they were doing, and it flattered him, and so he signed the decree. And then these culprits went over and to see if Daniel was going to continue to pray. If he did, it would be a violation of the order, and the test was on. Daniel had been accustomed to opening his window toward Jerusalem when he prayed. And he prayed three times a day in that manner. Maybe more times in other manners. We don't know. Maybe he prayed in his closet, as the Bible tells us to do. But anyway, he loved Jerusalem. That was his home town. That was where he was taken away from as a boy, as a youth. And Jerusalem was his, his not only his hometown, but it was his spiritual home. And so he opened his window toward Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day. 
But when he heard that this decree went out, that no one was to make any request of anybody or any god except of the king for 30 days, it says he went to his room and he opened his windows toward Jerusalem and he prayed again three times a day as he did a four times. He didn't change his policy of prayer. Now, not that it would be a sin to do so. I suppose it would have been perfectly all right for him to say, well, I won't open my window toward Jerusalem where they'll be able to see me pray, and I'll go into my closet and pray, and they won't know I'm praying. God hears in the secret as well as the public prayer. But he just determined in his heart that he wasn't going to change his pattern of prayer. God had honored his pattern of prayer. And when these people, and I suppose he sent, they were trying to trap him. And if they were trying to trap him, if they didn't trap him on this, they would trap him on something else. So we might as well face the crisis. When it comes to a crisis like this, we might just as well not try to sidestep it. We might just as well fly our colors. We might just as well let the world know that we're Christians. Let them know we're going to serve the Lord. And Daniel said he, it said that he opened his window toward Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day as he did a four times. Well, you know the rest of the story. He was cast into the den of lions. That was the punishment. The king tried every way to keep away from him. But before he was cast in there, he said, the king said, your God will deliver you. Your God will deliver you. And he didn't sleep that night. And the next morning early, he came and he called old Daniel. Is that God whom you serve continually, is he able to deliver thee? Out comes the voice. O king, live forever. The angel of the Lord was here and stopped the mouths of the lions. Daniel had to spend the night down there with the lions. Might not have smelled very good, but he suffered no harm. God kept him. He prayed. He prayed. It always pays to pray. It always pays. In little things, in big things. Let me tell you a little thing that happened down at the printing plant a week ago. We printed the Spanish paper on the new press. Well, I just helped them. I'm not a, pr a printer anymore, but uh, because of the new press and the new equipment, I, I've been helping there some, and we printed the new Spanish paper, and we had to make a, a certain uh, extra fold on that paper because uh, for mailing purposes and... We planned how to do that because the new press won't make all the folds that we could make with the old folder before, and we started to put it through the folder, and we had nothing but trouble, trouble, trouble. Even working in the church office, you can have mechanical problems and troubles and perplexities, and and uh, the fellows that were running the folder had called me in on it to look at it, and I said, well, do this or do that or suggest this, and hopefully that will improve it, and I said, in the meantime, pray. <laughs> I don't know why I said it, but I did, and they said, we have been. <laughs> And so we all prayed as we went back. But it still didn't work. And then I went back down to help them again. And, and uh, I said, well, let's clear that feeder out of there and let's try something else. And just as the young man cleared that out, I said, wait a minute. That works. And we just let it sh shunt right through the whole first section of the folder and drop that paper right out in the air and drop down on the second folder. I've never seen that done before on a folder. I don't think it's ever in any of the manuals. But it worked, and it solved the problem. 
And it wasn't that I was smart. The Lord just let me see another possibility. The Lord answered prayer. The Lord answers prayer. He can answer prayer on the job. He can solve problems that you don't know the answer to. He can reveal ways through that you would think, well, there's no way through this. But God can work ways through by miracles. If we'll pray. If we'll pray. Behold, we pray. Can that be said of you tonight? We're going to close with a time of prayer. This church, we always close with a time of prayer. Maybe it becomes routine. I hope not. Because the Lord meets His people in prayer. He said, My house shall be called a house of prayer among all nations. Have you made it that? Is it a house of prayer? You know, in the last book of the Bible, it speaks of the vials, those golden vials, filled with the odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, that's precious. The prayers of the saints are precious in the eyes of the Lord. And they're saved and they're reserved and they're kept as treasures. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Now, be careful when we pray. We should be careful when we pray. If we're just, if our mind is someplace else and we're just saying words, why God doesn't honor that. That, is, that isn't even being respectful. That's, that's being very disrespectful. We don't, in conversation, we don't uh, let our minds wander on something else and then try to talk with somebody else and think about something else. It, it's obviously very, very disrespectful if we try. So let's not do it in prayer. But as we come to the Lord in prayer, it's precious in the Lord's sight. The Lord holds those prayers in golden vials. And they're going to be there, over there when we get on the other shore. And that great multitude is over there around the throne. And, and suddenly there appears these vials that are filled with the prayers of the saints. Isn't that wonderful? Are you going to pray tonight? There's a line that is crossed by rejecting the Lord. And that line could be crossed tonight by someone. But it need not be crossed. That line, that crisis we come to, it might be said and recorded in God's book, Behold, He prayeth. He prayeth. He's willing to pray. He's willing to put God to the test. He's willing to, to humble Himself and say, Yes, I'll pray. Irregardless of my place or position in life or what I'm, anybody else thinks, I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to God. The altar's open. Will you come?